just to be able to get a recap of how your year went in 2023. What I would recommend for everyone to do is come up with a theme for this year. Come up with a theme that's going to guide you every single day of your life. Come up with something that's going to be able to sustain you. Our theme for 2024 is our sovereign savior sustains. That's our theme. And everything that we go through, everything that happens in our lives, that's what we're going to think back at. I also would recommend if you have some time with the family, I know there's crazy, I know there's family coming over, take a moment and open up your Bible. Read a psalm, read something. Read something that's going to help ground you for the year to come. And also, make it a family tradition to, to write five things that you are most grateful for in the last year, 2023. Pick a page in the Bible, pick a page in, towards the back, something that you can write down every single year and something that's going to help you remember when times are a little tough. What do you do? And that is a whole theme for today's sermon. I would invite you to please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. People ask me, why do you always go back to 1 Samuel? When I need to reset my life, when I want to have just be grounded and go back to the basics, I go to 1 Samuel 24. This sermon has been brewing inside of me for the last 20 plus years. And it is now my privilege to be able to teach it, share it, and tell you how much strength I've gotten from this portion of scripture. This is the portion, this is, this is what, really, what really brings me joy is the example of David when he was in the cave. And when God sovereignly set in front of him something so unique and something so difficult, it was a test for David. And David was able to pass that test. And for the last 20 years, I've spent my life trying to figure out why. Why did David not raise up his hand and take matters into his own and why David was able to resist that temptation. This is the sermon that's going to help us have a framework for your life. This is the sermon that's going to help you be able to decide what to do. Should I take that step or not take that step? All with the idea that waiting and trusting upon the Lord is a good thing. Waiting and trusting on the Lord is something that every single Christian needs to do. Why? Because God answers prayers in three ways. Yes, no, and I have something better for you. And sometimes it's easy to get a yes answer and say, thank you, Lord, the no answer. Fine, I've prayed, but now I need to wait. And it is that waiting that is often the most difficult thing to do. And I pray that this portion, that this scripture, really is something you refer back to because as you're living life, you're always going to have something to anchor yourself. This is hold on to the plow and don't let go sermon. And, this, and also this is my last sermon on rejection is protection. This is the sermon where we went through difficulties and perseverance and trials and we always stand firm. So we're wrapping up that. And with that introduction, I will invite you to open up 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're going to read verses 1 to 11. I'm going to set it up. You're going to see it's a very easy, simple narrative. 
Verse 1. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then, then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, Far be it from me, because of the Lord, that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. A lot of repetition, if you see, if you notice. Verse 7, David then persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. And now we're going to see how God is always vindicated. And God is the one who vindicates himself. Now afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of the men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you. Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you. But my eye had pity on you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now my father see indeed the edge of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. Know and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. These are the very words of, of God-inspired Scripture. This is, a, this is Scripture that helps us to really take inventory of what you would do in this situation. And I promise you, every single day we are, we are faced with similar situations. I want to start off by saying the Christian life is a life of waiting. We wait upon our Lord, and we are waiting and we are trusting. And if you are waiting today, I want you to say you're in very good company. Abraham waited 25 years. Moses waited 40 years. Joseph waited 13 years. Paul waited 14 years before entering back to Jerusalem. And here we're going to see how David, when he was only 16 years old, was anointed by the prophet Samuel. You will be king. And almost 20 years later, where is he? He is in a cave. Dark, The one may have been the dirtiest cave, and what is he doing? He is not taking things into his own hands. David knows that there is a line 
in the sand or in the ground that he cannot pass. That there are things that Christians cannot do. And what he needs to do is just rest and wait upon God. David knows it's not easy. We know it's not easy. But the Christian life calls us to wait because it is necessary. Necessary for us. Necessary for God to build us up into the proper Christ-like manner that he, has, he intends. And while you are waiting, what are you doing? You are praying, praying, praying. As I said, there is a yes answer, a no answer. And then sometimes, and this is oftentimes the most difficult for the Christian to understand when our Lord says, I have something better for you. You just need to wait a little longer. This is the sermon for those who know what to do and need an extra portion of encouragement to hold on. This is also the sermon for those who might not know what to do. We're going to follow the example of David, and he's going to say, wait, and the Lord will clarify it for you. Because when there's life-altering decisions, and I'm not talking about every single decision. I'm not trying to paralyze you. When there are life-altering decisions, we really need to make sure this is God's clear will for our lives. What is our roadmap for today? Waiting and trusting upon the Lord when God has something better for you and asks you to wait. David waited and faithful Christians are praying and evaluating every single step they take. They're careful never to be outside of the protective cloud of the Lord. And Christians know that when they are weakened, and it is often the case as we are waiting and we are weakened, that is when God sets a test in front of us. And we're going to see how David was able to go and give us I think one of the best examples of waiting. So today we're going to see that biblical Christians, and this is for the church, this is for you, Cornerstone. We're going to look at five points. We wait and we trust and we rely upon godly counsel and not upon worldly counsel. We always want to get godly counsel because you can get secular media, social media counsel, but we want you to really focus on godly counsel. The second point would be that Christians, while waiting, rely upon the Spirit and not upon the flesh. We rely upon the Spirit and rely upon, the, upon God and not on the flesh. We don't take things into our own hands. Thirdly, we rely upon a biblically sharpened conscience. David's conscience was, was wrecked. Because he just cut off just a small little piece of the robe. That is the conscience. That's, a Roman, that, that's what Romans teaches us. And we're going to look at that. We want to have sharpened consciences. And also know that whenever you are set in a position of difficulty and you're going through a trial, you're not alone. And also that the world is looking at you. So our fourth point is that God sovereignly sets a trial in front of you and you, as Christians, are called to be an example, to be an influence for others. The world is looking at us. Let us always understand that we, the church, have to be set firm upon his word. And the last, the fifth point, 
how God will always vindicate his name. God will always vindicate his name. David, with faced with a decision, what, he, what did he do? He waited patiently, and we're going to look, and we're going to dissect all of this. Imagine, 16 years old, approximately 16 years old, his life did not turn out the way he had anticipated. Almost 10 years had passed until that day when he was anointed by the prophet Samuel, and now he's being hunted down by his own king. So let's start. Having laid the, the, the framework, now let's go back to verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told Saul had spies everywhere, and they were looking and anticipating where would David be, and saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Our context immediately sets King Saul against David. You have God's chosen king, and then you have the people's chosen king. Saul, feeling the jealousy and the rage, doesn't want to waste an opportunity, takes 3,000 chosen men. And notice, these are chosen men. These are hardened professional killers from all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. What do we know about King Saul and what do we know about King David or future King David? Because we know the outcome. Who is King Saul? Well, all we need to do is go back to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Saul is the king of Israel. He is, the, he is Israel's king, whereas we know that Israel was a theocracy. Their true king was one and only Yahweh. It was not supposed to be a human king. There were many warnings that were given. And we read those warnings in 1 Samuel 8, verses 19 to 20. Nevertheless, verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. And this is the key, verse 20. Why? Clear explanation. That we may be also like the other nations. That's where Israel, Israel went wrong. They didn't want to follow Yahweh. They wanted to be like the neighboring nations. That our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. They didn't want Yahweh to fight their battles. They wanted a human king. Saul was chosen. Simply why? Maybe other reasons. But from a visual point of view, he was much taller. Anointed king, complete disobedience. The kingdom is removed from him in 1 Samuel 13. Here we see that King Saul is the absolute worst example of leadership. He is the absolute antithesis of David. And because David was a man after God's own heart. So let's look at David. We first meet David in 1 Samuel 16 as a young shepherd, perhaps only 16 years old. Samuel, the prophet Samuel had come to his father Jesse and said, the Lord has sent me. And he asked, and he went through, if you remember the story, he went through all the different sons. And then he said in verse 11, are there any other children? 
And he said, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is tending the sheep. We first see David as a shepherd. We know that our true shepherd is our God. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and beautiful, eyes and handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him, for this is he. David was anointed on that day to be the next king of Israel. But now 10 years have passed. And what is happening? He is being hunted. David is on the run. He is humiliated. He is scared. He has 300 men behind him, all of whom have families, and they're in a very dangerous and precarious place. What was sort of the catalyst of King Saul wanting to hunt down David? Because there was a catchy saying or a catchy song. Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his ten thousands. You see, at the root of King Saul's hatred was jealousy. He was king and he wanted to make sure through any humanly manner that no one would ever take his place. We know ultimately, because we have the Davidic covenant, we know ultimately that David was spared and David is a king. And through the line of David comes our Messiah, Jesus Christ. What was going through David's mind? And that is where we look to inspired scripture. We don't need to search far to figure out what was he, what was the emotions, what were the turmoil. Because David, while he was in the cave, wrote two psalms. This is better than opening up any commentary because we have inspired scripture to tell us the turmoil. Turn with me to Psalm 142. Psalm 142. There are two psalms written specifically about when David was in the psalm, when David was in the cave. Psalm 142 was one of them. The second one is Psalm 57. We're going to look at both. We're going to start with Psalm 142. To simply cut out the framework of Psalm 142, we're going to look at verses 1 to 4, supplication how David is crying out to his God. And then verses 5, 7, we're going to see how David is supported by his God. Psalm 142 reads, A masculine of David, when he was in the cave of prayer. And just look up to me. This is superscript. This is not the title. This is not the legacy standard uh, Bible. This is not NSB title. This is God-inspired title. We're not making it up. This is what God wanted to really set, to really mark down how David, what was David's feeling? Verse 1 reads, I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaints before him. I declare my trouble before him. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, do you feel the flavor? Do you see how, do you see how he doesn't know what to do? His spirit is overwhelmed within me. But he rests knowing that you knew my path. In the way where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. I don't know if you've ever fallen into a really big hole or if anyone set a trap. I remember once I was young, I was 
I was uh, riding my bike and just green grass and someone had removed an old tree. And there was a huge hole. This wasn't an ankle breaker, this was a femur breaker. I mean, you, were, you would have gotten hurt. That's a trap. But look what David says. Look to the right and see, for there is no one who regards me. There is no one who, no, there is no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. David understands that his only hope is God. And then the next five verses, we're going to see refuge, rescue, and relief. Refuge, rescue, and relief. Verse 5, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge. David, being in a cave, does not recognize that this shelter brings him any protection. But he knows that it is Yahweh who is his refuge. My portion in the land of the living. Verse 6, give heed to my cry. For I am brought down very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong from me. I don't know if you're going through something. Look how what David is going. David understands the ratio of 3,000 killers and his 300 men. It's a 10 to 1 ratio. He understands that those who have set their sight to take his life are just too many, and they're just too powerful, and that there's nothing that he can do except rely upon the Lord. Verse 7, Bring my soul out of prison, so that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Did you see the shift? Did you see through the anguish he still has? And you can see it, for you will deal bountifully with me. David has been humbled. David has been humiliated. He is now hunted, but he knows that his great redeemer will be the Lord. I want to give you a little illustration between what is hunting, and I'm not a hunter, okay, but what is someone who is just wants to get the job done. If ever there's a spider in, in our home, I am the one who was sent, and this summer I killed the biggest spider. It was like this big with legs. It was, it was horrible. I had two cans of spray, um, wore everything, wore the mask, wore the, glo- wore the glasses, and I just emptied two cans of, ca- two cans of <laughs> mission done, objective taken care of. But when you are being hunted, it's a little different. I want you to picture, we live right next to the 405. I want you to know we constantly hear helicopters and there's police officers. And helicopters are so advanced, they have cameras that can set down and pinpoint a car. And then even as the car is driving everywhere, they have artificially intelligent maps that can track the car and can place exactly where they are in that street in real time. And they have an entire set of communication. Everyone, you have cops and everything. And most of the time, these are perpetrators. These are, um, maybe they're DUI, maybe they're drunk. So they're on our side. And as a police, and this is the concept of hunting that I'm trying to say, they have set a dragnet around. And they're just slowly and slowly making that net tighter and tighter until that person has nowhere else to go. 
And that is where we find our David. He has nowhere else to go, and he has found himself only in one single place, in a cave. And this is the cave, if you're going to really be descriptive, this is the cave where, in the New American Steve Bible, this is where I'm going to say King Saul went to rest. I want you to picture this was maybe the worst place that David could have gone. This was the cave that no one wanted to go into because they knew what was the purpose of this cave and it would never be able to fit 300 men. Yet God, in his sovereignty, sends his mortal enemy, King Saul, to go inside. David is in this cave and he cannot believe And I'm sure inside of the turmoil, he's trying to see, Lord, is this something that you have given me? Is this a gift? Is this your will? And many would have misunderstood God's sovereignty at that second, but not David. David understood that this was not a secular gift, but this was something of a test. David is exhausted. It's dark. It's wet. He doesn't fully understand what's happening. Is this really... My king? Or is this something else? I'm sure his entire life must have passed, flashed right in front of him. But David knows he cannot dishonor God's anointed. When you are faced with a trial, when you're faced with a decision, you don't know what to do. Sometimes the best thing to do is just say what you cannot do. And there's a line that you cannot pass. And you wait and you pray patiently until the Lord makes it clear for you to pass. David understands that he needs God's grace. He sees something, he sees an opportunity, but he withholds himself. The situation gets amplified because the 300 men behind him are encouraging him to take the king's life. This is where we see godly Christians do not listen to secular counsel, but only to godly counsel. Verse 4. The men of David said to him, Behold, and that is the first behold, there will be a second behold. This is the day of which the Lord, and notice they're using the Lord's name in vain. Don't put it above your enemies or God's enemies to use his word against his son and against us. Behold, that's the second behold. I am about to give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Do you see the temptation that David is fighting? He doesn't want to do it, but now he's being encouraged by men who do not share David's high view of sovereignty. They're just normal men. They're fearful for their lives. They're fearful for their family. They just want to be over with this trial. And they're calling out to David. In Hebrew, they say, Hine, behold, today is the day. In today's word, we would use it as saying carpe diem. Seize the day, David. But David understands. David understands very well what his men are asking him. His men are asking him to slice open the king. And he relents. David could have very easily extended his arm. How close was David? He could have just extended his arm and this whole 
this whole scenario would have been put to, put to an end. I want to encourage everyone today, don't listen to backseat drivers. I remember I was very young, and it was one of the first times I was driving, and I had a, I had a close friend, and he kept pressuring me. So don't listen to their peer pressure. He kept pressuring me, just roll over these stop signs. You don't need to do a full stop. Just go. It's okay. No one's looking. And I remember just getting so frustrated because I knew I couldn't do that. There's also another saying, and, and this is where some of you speak French, and it's like a French proverb. This is what a father would say to a son, and we can use it in all sorts of different scenarios. Belle de loin, mais loin d'être belle. Okay, that's a known tongue, don't worry. Beautiful from far, but far from being beautiful. Beautiful from far, but far from being beautiful. It sounds much nicer in French. It's, it's telling the sun or anything, look how beautiful that looks from far. But when you come closer, when you examine it, you're going to find there are faults. There are things that just don't make sense. And the question comes down to where do you get your counsel? Who has your ear? And this is where I really want to talk to the younger generation. Social media is not where you get counsel. Anyone can just post something or go online and research something. This is where you rely on the church and on your family and on your parents. David, knowing that his friends are against him, refuses to listen to that ungodly counsel and doubles down. Yet David, with all that adrenaline which is pulsing through his veins, he does something. He doesn't do the full slashing, but he cuts a piece off of the robe. You see, this is where the question always comes up, how bad is it? Okay. And we can look at King Saul and say, well, he is the master chief. He, imagine if someone would have done that to our president. Let me give you another example. And I was thinking of this. Imagine if someone were to cut off a piece of Pastor John's suit. How would you react? You see someone, someone over there. David relents. He controls himself. However, this is the same David that did something that my son is very proud. When you ask him, who was King David? Well, he's the one who defeated who? Goliath. How? And then he did something to his head. Okay? There is a scenario where David could have walked out and said, look, behold, I am your new king. But that's all David did. David is the one who shows self-control. David is the one who understands. And we can see, and this is where we need to turn to Psalm 57. This is where we're going to see why David relented. This is the best example and the best explanation of why when we are in trials, when we are in difficulties, we hold back and we trust in God. Psalm 57, I can cut this up in two very clear sections. Prayer in danger, praise for deliverance. Verses 1 to 6, prayer in danger, 
7 to 11, prays for deliverance. And the key, and the key, and I alluded to this before, the key is that there is a switch. In both of these Psalms, there has to be a mental ability to switch. Verse 1, be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. Look at how serious the threat is. Verse 4. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe both fire. This is a flamethrower imagery. Even the son of man whose teeth are spears and arrows. Notice the weapons that are against him. And their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. Notice the repetition. Notice the, the snare. But God is still protecting him. Why? Because they themselves have fallen in this trap. That same dragon that was forcing David into that cave has brought the mortal enemy against David right in front of him. And this is now the shift. This is where we see the praise for deliverance. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. No matter what you're going through, take a moment and really refocus yourself and, and set your heart. I will sing, I will sing praises. Awake, my glory, awake, harp and lyre. I will awake, I will awake in the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Do you see how normal it is? It's the breath of the Christian to praise his Savior. Even in the midst of the darkest of caves, take a moment to reset yourself and still exalt and magnify your Lord. For your covenant love, the loving kindness, the chesed, is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. The reason why David did not take King Saul's life is because he had the proper emotional control. He had the spiritual, situational understanding of what's really at stake and what's really happening. David was not in any means a perfect example, but in this case, he is our example by whom we must emulate. David realizes that God does not answer, God is not answering his prayer and he's asking him to wait. So when we are tempted, remember of how David waited. When you're going through a trial, when you're getting, when something is happening, Remember that if it is not God's will, you do not take things into your own matter and you wait and you wait and you wait and you trust. Because there is no advancement in the Christian life unless Christ is the one who advances you. David does not hold back completely. We saw that. And in verse 5, we can see his conscience bothers him. Why does his conscience bother him? First and foremost, because every single one of us has a conscience. And our conscience either accuses or excuses us. We have a wonderful golden retriever. When he steals a sock, 
And when he runs away and you catch him and you say, and the sock is all ripped, <laughs> tooth marks, who did this? And he will have the cutest guilty look. He understands he did something wrong, but that is not a biblical framework of a conscience. <laughs> Let me give you a biblical framework for a conscience. The conscience, two points. First one, an inner awareness and consciousness of right and wrong. So it is your inner self. It's an inner awareness. It's your heart telling you, no, you cannot, and we have an example in the Old Testament, you cannot cut a baby in half. Every single one of us knows that that is wrong. And the second one, it is a mental ability to apply the law or to apply that truth. Think of it as your inner voice of what God is telling you. And we can read in Romans chapter 12, and I'm sorry, I just don't have the time to do that. Let me give you some high points. Romans chapter 12 deals everything that has to do with our conscience. Romans gives us cautions about our conscience. Let me give you a few high summary macro overviews. The conscience, the first one, is a good guide only when it is informed by God's good work. So it is a good guide only if it is informed by the good book. The second one, it is always a sin to act against your conscience. If you're not sure to do something, then don't do it. Because you have a moral responsibility, you have a moral compass, and if there's something that you see that you're not sure, take a step back. And the third one, careful not to sear your conscience. Searing your conscience is something that, unfortunately, our society has done so often, and that's where we find now. Let your conscience be your guide for the rest of your life, working with it. And Romans chapter 12 says, daily renewing your mind to be able to have that good conscience, to be able to cut through what is not just good and better, but what is best. That is what our aim is. David is set in the cave. He's still in the cave. And this is where we're going to see that wherever you are, God is the one who places you there. God is the one who providentially places you in a position. Why? For his glory. Because in verse 4, and, and, and our fourth point in verse 6, we can see that David was able to set God's glory on display. Because he said to his men, far be it from me, because of the Lord I should do such a thing to my Lord for the Lord's anointed. David cannot slice open. David cannot slice open the king. And what is so interesting here is that and this is where it gets a little complicated, and this is where everything is once again. His friends are telling him, David, you're going to be king. You don't need to do it. Let me do it. That is the whole scenario of our fourth point. David is the one who says, no, I cannot have blood on my hands. His warriors, his 300 men are saying, I got this. It's okay. You don't need to, you don't need to do this. And David still relents. Why? Because he knows that God was the one who will vindicate himself. And we see that in verse 10. In verse 10, it reads, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. That is the third time 
he repeats the same phrase, I am the Lord's anointed. Saul is absolutely clueless here. He has no idea. And it is only in the last portion in verses 16 to 22 that Saul has that great reveal. At a certain point, Saul must have looked down and realized something happened after David called out to him. We can see that in verse 19 and 20. And I'm trying to sort of quicken this because the time has just left. In verse 20, there is a repentance on the behalf of Saul. But I want to make sure if this is true repentance, if this is a true turning away from his sin and coming to realize that God is sovereign and this is what is happening, he says, Now behold, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now the question is, was this a true repentance? The question is, great David having restricted himself, not permitted his fellow friends to be able to stretch out his hand. Is this the ending? The reality is, if you turn your Bible one chapter and the next chapter, and if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 26, and please turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 26, I want to show you what happens. This is the same king who just narrowly escaped. And this is what he says. Verse 1. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David, David hiding on the hill of Hachilah, which is before Jeshimon? So Saul rose and noticed and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having with him how many? 3,000. Chosen men of Israel, it may have very well been the same 3,000 before to search for David in the wilderness. All of that story, everything that happened, what did we realize? David is in the same place. David is in the exact same situation. His friends are, are more aggravated and more angered. The situation is even more dire. And what does David do? And this is where, if we had another sermon, and I'm not Pastor John to take another 15 minutes, there'll be a great revolt. <laughs> this is where David, once again, miraculously is able to get close to his king and takes his spear and takes his water jug and once again does not put his sword through him. Why? Why? <clears throat> We read of many kings in the Bible, in 1 Samuel and Chronicles, but most of it is written about David because David is a man after God's own heart. David understood that waiting and trusting upon the Lord, even when the whole world is telling you you're doing wrong, you are not on the right side of history. Christians, we will never be on the right side of their history. We will be on the right side of his story. We understand that there are tests, and when the tests are presented, let us relent, take a moment, look for that shift, look at that spiritual, emotional control, the situational awareness, and say what is really at hand, and take a moment and understand. Godly counsel is what we rely on. 
We rely upon the spirit, not upon the flesh. Well, have we really been able to take a moment and sharpen our conscience? This is where we open up our commentaries, we open up our Bibles, and we go and we study the subjects that are perplexing us, knowing that we have an influence in our life and in our surrounding. And it is not just pure coincidence, but it is providence that we are there. And that ultimately, even when things go wrong, God will himself vindicate his name. And that is where we rely on. I want to take you to one last place. I want to take you to one last place. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. As you're turning there, we know that there's a Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7.11. You don't need to turn there, but this is where God makes a covenant with his David, saying that your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. What is the first verse in the New Testament? The record, Matthew 1.1, the record of, of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Do you see that it was through the line of David? And David was faithful and he honored and glorified his Lord. And the Messiah that we just celebrated just a few days ago, Christmas, is through the line of David. And we see in Matthew chapter 1, 16, that this baby that was born was the Savior of the world. And I want to talk to everyone here. If you are still fighting against God, if you are still in a cave or have found yourself in a cave, and I know New Year's is a very difficult time. There's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of family issues. If you find yourself in a cave, my question to you is, are you in this cave with Christ? Are you in this cave with your Lord and Savior or are you still fighting against him? You see, he came in the form of a babe. He came, the God, creator, sustainer, and he came and that was, his, that was the time we remember him. Don't go another year without pushing that out. If you, and if you are a Christian, and if you have gotten a little cold, 2024 could be another year where there is just, and we all have things that we need to work on. We all have things that we could do a little better. Let 2024 be a year where a year is a reset, as a, Harry uses it, recalibration. Think of Romans chapter 12, daily renewal of your mind. Let that be what, what is your vision. I want to close with Something that is so powerful, written by Flavel, Flavel, John Flavel. He is, I don't know if you ever heard of him, if you ever read his body of work, amazing. You have to read it. And he summarizes this section from the heart. He's an English Puritan who's often quoted by Pastor John. And it's when I heard his name that I went and I researched it. He writes, God is in control of his universe. God is working out his perfect purposes. God guides me by enabling me to read his providences through the lenses and only through the lenses of his word. God's way are far more mysterious and wonderful than I can ever come to understand. 
He writes, God is good all the time, and I can trust him all the time. God's timetable is not the same as mine or yours. And God is far more interested in what you will become than what you will do. God's purposes are uncomprehensible. And he ends with this. I have far fewer pleasures than tracing the wonders of God's ways in my life and seeing his hand of providence through the suffering and difficulties of my life. And that is what I want to encourage everyone. Take a moment this year, in 2023, because we're almost in 2024. And I had to write down 2024 a few days ago. And I was like, wow, we're in 2024. Let this year be of a new beginnings, of new commitments. And I want you to know that if you're going through a difficult time, if you're going through a trial, don't walk through the door. Wait and pray until it is the Lord Jesus who opens that door for you mightily. Because when you are waiting and praying, and when he opens it, it is glorious. That's what I want you to have as a framework. Thank you for listening. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as your psalm says in Psalm 130, Help us to wait for the Lord. As our soul waits, help us to wait and hope and trust in your word. Heavenly Father, as we come now to a year, that is the year end, help us to really understand that how everything is sovereignly controlled. Help us to remember the example of David as David is in the cave and David refrained from touching or, or piercing his your anointed. We know that this waiting, and it is just something that is so difficult. Give us the strength. Give us the ability. Give us the wisdom to wait a little longer because that waiting is beneficial. Father, I pray for anyone here who does not know you, anyone who is still set his heart against you, would you please soften his heart to spiritual truth? Help them not leave this church without asking questions. Be with those who are here today as we, are, we will be set forth into our families. Help us to give the gospel of Christ, the gospel of truth to them. Help us to preach Christ today. And it is through the saving cross where you set your son and it was your pleasure for our benefit to crush your son for our sin as sin has been atoned once and for all. Now we have the reward of grace of heaven help us to hold firm onto this and for those who are suffering hold on and trust in the lord we pray this in the name above all names for the namesake of christ we pray amen